the Senior Golfer Advisor, dedicated to helping you, the senior golfer, drive it longer, play better, get healthier, and enjoy the game. I'm your host, Dean Davison. Let's get started. Well, welcome, senior golfers. Our guest today is Sean Clement, and he is the founder of Wisdom in Golf. We'll certainly get into that quite a bit today. He's the founder and CEO. If any of you are YouTube viewers and have seen a lot of YouTube, you can hardly Google anything or hardly search anything on YouTube where you're not going to come up with something excellent that Sean Clement has done. He's got tons of videos on there covering just about everything you can imagine. But what is really cool about it, his videos are very engaging, he's fun, you can tell he loves and has a great passion for what he's doing. And at the same time, you find them very practical, they're easy to understand, they're easy to learn, and pretty easy to apply. So we're going to get into all of that. First of all, I'd like to welcome Sean Clement. Thanks for joining the show. My pleasure. I'm glad to be here. Excellent. So let me start off with a, perhaps a bit of a provocative question. You said it to me, have you said it on many of your videos, that human beings are not defective. You literally are talking to individuals saying, you're not defective, human beings are a perfect golfing machine, and yet, so many people will tell you also that golf is one of the hardest things to learn, and many people get frustrated and they, they, they quit playing because it's so hard to learn. How do you justify those two things about being a perfect golfing machine and the difficulty seemingly so many people have in learning the game? Well, I mean, we've been using the wrong operating system for a long, long time. Hmm. Golf is, has been ignoring the research that has been done on how humans learn motor skills. The way we learn motor skills is we're, we're terrible at body part positioning. We have no idea where our body parts are, and when we're focused on what body part goes where, then we lose complete sight of the task at hand. Yeah. So your central nervous system works at 40 million bits of information per second, and your conscious mind can only do 40 bits of information per second. So if you're trying to piecemeal a golf swing together with eight different positions, then you are seriously using the wrong operating system. So that's why we use very easy tasks like if ever you go online and check out what a grass whip looks like. Oh, it's yeah. a tool that looks like a golf club. It has the length of about a seven to a five iron. And it has a long blade that's about eight inches long. And it's serrated on yeah. both sides. And it's got the perfect angle for you to cut grass like a mini scythe. That's right. So when you look at the grass cutting tool and you look at the angle that it's on and you look at the grass that you want to cut with it, you see the fit. So then it seems pretty natural for you after that to go ahead and swing it and just cut grass along the surface of the ground. If you dig into the ground, you can't cut grass very well and your brain identifies that right away. And if you're not low enough to cut grass, well, the brain will tell you too, look, the grass is not being cut. We need to get lower. So it is very intuitive, and then you begin to cut your grass. Well, most people don't realize that a golf club, first and foremost, apart from a driver, is designed to cut grass before it's designed to hit balls. If the leading edge of the club wasn't sharp enough to get through the grass, you can't play golf with it. The width of the sole 
is not wide enough to prevent the club from digging too much and it doesn't have the right bounce on it, we call it the angle of the bounce, then you can't play golf with it. So instead of trying to hit a golf ball with it, we advise our students to cut along the surface of the grass and the ball is simply a dandelion in disguise. So then off they go on their merry way and they cut the grass along the surface of the ground. The ball meets the club face, leaps into the air and off you go. So we begin to polish things around that particular way of thinking about it and looking at it. And you see that the, the results come extremely fast. Whereas if, you know, most people will go to a lesson and the teaching professional will say, well, here, you, your, your elbow's in the wrong place. You need to have your elbow in this position. And you listen to what that person is saying and you, will, and you don't understand what it's supposed to match. What's the purpose of it? Right. So you're just thinking about putting elbow part into position A and then position B and position C. And meanwhile, there's a, a dandelion begging to be cut then once you're done with the positioning, you look at the ball and then you try to hit the golf ball and, and it all goes badly. Yeah, you, you couple that with it takes what, about two seconds to swing a golf club? There's no way you can think about more than, I mean, if you're going to think about anything, one thought would be it. If it's going to be one thought, it, it better be a proper test. Like here, you see this? You see yeah. the club? Let's see you cut along the grass in that direction. And then mm-hmm. the, the brain goes, well, I can do that. I can just, you know, yeah. and then, then, you, then you think about, well, what's the best way to cut grass? You say, well, how about whipping through the grass? That's why we call them grass whips. Because yeah. if you have to shove the darn thing through the grass, you're going to get, you know, tired very quickly and you'll probably have to split a rib in the process. <laughs> but if Not you're, good. Exactly. You know, most people will understand the difference between whipping through grass and shoving through grass. And that's how we go about our business. Not only is it extremely effective, once they have the base for that, then they're able to evolve on their own. That's where the magic is. That's when you feel like, hey, I, I can do this. I can do this. Let me work on this for a week and I'll come back to you. And yet, anyone who has some curiosity about learning how to swing the club well, they get bombarded it seems like, with body positions. And yet, a simple motion of swinging a grass scythe through the grass, what could be simpler than that? It's not based on internal body, it's based on something external. Correct. When did you have the big aha that this was the best way to teach? Or were you always teaching this way? Basically, after my first 10 years, uh, I came to the same conclusion you know, I basically want to give everybody's money back in my first 10 years of instruction. I've been teaching for 35 years. I've been teaching well for 25 years. So I knew what body parts to teach. The problem was every time I taught somebody to do that with a certain body part, they would always come back and either overdo it or underdo it. And then they have a perception of what they're doing. And because we suck so badly at it, it was very difficult to get any kind of progression. And then, you know, somebody said, well, you know, what does it feel like for you? And I said, well, to me, it feels like I'm skipping a stone on water. And I start using analogies like that. And I imagine the sole of your club is like a skipping stone and you're just going to skip it along the surface of the grass. And then they go ahead and they, then it was a whipping skip. 
and that worked beautifully, you know, and, uh, and then some, you know, associated with that and some others didn't. So it, it, and we started broadening our analogies. Mm-hmm. We soon realized there was a, a grouping of analogies that really resonated with 90% of golfers and the other 10% that don't, you know, associate well with that, then I love them because I get to learn how they learn. And with the background that I have and the experience that I have, we always end up getting to where we need to go. And I, I, it just takes a little bit longer. So I get to learn something. And next time I see a person that has that kind of a, of a learning pattern, then, then I'm able to adjust myself much, much more quickly. Yeah. Well, you talked a little bit about the conscious mind and the subconscious mind. I find that really fascinating because everybody describes golf as a mental game and then they've got a, a checklist of you know a dozen or more things to think about as they're trying to swing. And it sounds like you're saying turn it over to... That's why to, you need to shrink. Yeah, you do need to shrink for a lot of... That's exactly why. <laughs> uh, and all the pros have one, it seems. But you turn it over to this subconscious, which is doing this sort of automatically, like we would put a spoon into our mouth or ride a bicycle. Because I knew the anatomy and I started, you know, I taught that and I, I started getting doctors and people in the medical profession because they, they realized that I did my homework anatomically. And then all of a sudden they started pointing me in the right direction. And, and then I get to people like Gabriel Wolf who is, you know, a PhD at UNLV and all she does with her partner is they basically do studies and they use various different disciplines on how we learn motor skills. Mm-hmm. When I read her book and I'm going, oh my gosh, this, this is it. This is, this is where I need, I am already doing this a good 75% of the time. Now I can just take the other 25% body parts and just find other ways to lock them in on a task. Mm-hmm. Fast forward 35 years later, I had the equivalent of five different doctorates of information to show somebody how to cut a darn dandelion stem. Tell me a little bit about the tasks, because you talk about once the, the human mind understands what the task is, they can turn it over to the subconscious to make that happen. So what are some of these tasks that you're talking about when you're teaching golf? Well, one of them, like we talk about, is, is the cutting of a dandelion stem. Let's say you put a pea in the ground. And you want to cut the knob, the top of the knob off the tee. So you go mm-hmm. ahead, you're, you're focused on the sole of the club cutting through the knob of the tee. Then you put a ball on top of the tee, but you put your eyes between the leading edge of the club and the ball, and you see the task of cutting through the knob of the tee again. So if you succeed in cutting through the knob of the tee, the ball will get flattened by the center of the club face, and it will leap into the air. So the means by which you put a ball in the air is you cut through the knob of the tee. And that's what grass does, right? The grass holds the ball up in the air and acts like a tee. So all you got to do is cut through the grass where the ball is and the ball will meet the face and leap into the air. And then you realize that the best way to cut that grass is to whip through it. Another task would be imagine, a, you know, put a golf ball up against a door frame, right? So if you were to hammer a nail into the door frame, and you want to drive a nail horizontally that way, you, you'll grab the hammer in your hands, and then you'll turn a little sideways, and you'll feel like that elbow will lead the hammer into the, you know, through the nail. So then the ball on the ground becomes the head of the nail, and the face of the club becomes the head of the hammer. Yeah. And you say, okay, I'm going to squeeze the ball through the door frame using the weight of the hammer. And you quickly realize that 
you can't let the head of the hammer pass your hands before you get to the door frame because you'll hit the floor first and you'll miss the nail on the way up. So as you stay with the task of driving through the base of the door frame, you'll realize your hands have to lead and then your grip club relationship will have to close a little bit more so that when you get to the ball against the door frame, you feel like the hands are in front and you feel like you're squeezing that ball through the door frame. So imagine now the door frame is a thin piece of cardboard. And when you have the weight of your arms and clubs squeezing that ball through the piece of cardboard, that ball will again strike the face and then leap into the air because your task was not on hitting the ball. Your task was on squeezing a ball through the door frame using the face of the club. That's very different. Mm. Yeah, it is. Yes, that's what you're picturing in your mind. It has nothing to do with what your body's doing. It has to do with uh, what your objective or task is, right? Yes. So typically when the mind sees the means by which the body follows, if you don't understand how a ball gets airborne, and you feel the need to scoop it up. So you get a lot of golfers that stay on their back foot and they're trying to lift the ball in the air. Well, they just don't, they don't understand the purpose of the tool. So the first thing we do is show them how to cut grass and all of a sudden the weight shifts naturally. The body clears naturally. You know, shifting weight is something you already do beautifully. You're already a gravity genius. And so with the right task, that happens very, very naturally. And you should never have to think about shifting weight. And the same goes with how to clear the hips. So if you were to skip a stone on the pond, right? You grab a ball in your hands and you pretend you're skipping it off the front of the deck. Nobody ever fails at that. So if you keep your, your body, let's say you get into your golfer's position. I'm viewing it. And somebody is towards the target and you need to do an underhand toss toward that person towards the target your brain will immediately shift the weight on the left foot. The left foot will use the ground to turn your body out of the way so that your arm can swing freely toward the person standing towards the target. If you don't get out of the way, your upper right arm will crash into the rib cage. Your right arm will collapse. Your arm will wrap around your neck and the ball will go backwards. And the other thing I notice in that, that vision that you're creating for me is I'm looking at the target. I'm not looking at anything else. I'm not looking at the ball in my hand. I'm not looking at my arm. I'm just looking at where I want the projectile to go. Correct. Well, the ball is the intersection on the way to the target. The ball can never be the target. If you're looking down at a ball and all you see is a golf ball, well, you're in trouble. I can tell you this, that, and I've seen it a lot. When I have my bad shots, it's, it's because I'm doing that. I'm, I'm, I'm forgetting that the ball is not the target. <laughs> Correct. You got literally 180 degrees of possibilities where that ball's going to go if the ball's your target because there's no direction. But if you, let's say, have a target out there and then you pick an intermediate point in front of the ball that's within a foot and you pick that intermediate point as you're standing behind and looking out towards your target with your binocular vision, this is super primo important. Now you're finding the proper intermediate point that's, that's going to give you the proper direction. Now when you get beside the ball, all you're doing is lining up a one-foot putt. Mm-hmm. So all you've got to do now is put through the dandelion stem over that intermediate point, and you are now moving naturally in the direction of your target. 
you were talking about cutting grass. And from a gravity standpoint, I could see where cutting the stem of the dandelion is one level of cutting the grass. Cutting the grass itself and perhaps a little bit lower than that is another way of cutting the grass. And then it's, at times, you want to really get compression on the ball and you may want to go a little deeper into the, not to the ground, but deeper towards the roots of the grass. And your body can adjust to that? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You'll see a video on YouTube called Predict Solid Contact and Direction. So once your Sounds brain good. has an absolute reference, you go predict solid contact and direction, Sean Clement on, on YouTube, and just dial that into the search box. And you can look at throwing the club, Sean Clement. You know, look at all my throwing the club videos. And then so let's say I'm throwing the club at the target. I just uploaded one yesterday on throwing the club. And we're doing a nice series on our premium channel on that as well. So, that you, you know, there's, for short irons, it feels like a shortstop throw. And for longer irons, it feels like a javelin throw. And for the driver, it feels like a hammer throw, more like a lasso, you know, around, you know what I mean? Yep, yep, you're kind of rotating like, a, like you would do that. Yeah, so you stand over the ball, and you hover your club a couple of inches over the ball, and you say, okay, if I throw the club over that intermediate point towards that target from here, it feels like I'm going to miss the ball. So you go ahead and throw it without letting go, and then the club releases your hands in the direction that you want it to go, and you see the blur of the club as it passes over the ball, and you go, yeah, it looks like I missed it by a couple of inches. Now your brain has a reference. So you lower the club to the equator of the ball. And now you feel, if I throw the club in the direction of my target, it feels like I'm going to skull or top the ball. So you go ahead and throw the club in that direction, and you see if you do. And invariably, you top or you skull the ball. So now you're batting a 1,000 with your predictions. So then you lower the club all the way to the grass, and you say, okay, if I throw the club in that direction, it feels like I'm going to graze the grass. Well, if you graze the grass, you're going to hit it thin or you're going to skull it. So you go ahead and throw the club and you see if you graze the grass. And then, lo and behold, you skull it or you hit it a little thin. So then you lower it a bit more where you feel like the sole of the club is going to drag through a little bit of dirt if you throw the club in the direction of your target. So now it feels like the ball is just going to mash right up against the center of the club face and you feel it in your bones that if you throw the club in the direction that you want to start the ball, it's impossible for you to mishit it. And boy, oh boy, is that a great feel to have. It is. And then because you had those references, your brain knows exactly where you are. You throw it again, the ball just rockets off the face, leaps into the air, and you get that bliss on a stick. It's okay to, in the experimentation process of learning, to learn what almost and learn what bad feels like so that you can course correct and, and learn what good feels like. Is that an oversimplification? That's exactly what that is. I call it Goldilocks. Goldilocks, okay. Yeah, the Goldilocks process, it is, it is exactly, and the person who wrote that short story knows exactly how that, the human machine works. So as soon as your brain has an absolute reference, so I say, okay, when you're chipping a shot around the green, you say, all right, there's a bunker in front of me. I'm going to do a practice swing that I feel be way too soft. So you do a practice swing, you cut grass with the amount of momentum that you know would be way too soft. And then you confirm, yep, 
that for sure is going to land in the bunker if I chip with that amount of momentum. Now your brain has an absolute reference. It now has a breadcrumb trail to follow. So then you say, okay, what would be too strong? Well, if I go with this much momentum too strong, it's going to go over the green into the other bunker. Well, I don't want that either. And then you do one in between, a practice swing. And then with the one in between, you say, yeah, that's not going to be short in the first bunker. It's not going to be long on the second bunker. That's going to be pretty good. So then you go to the ball and you cut the dandelion stem with that amount of momentum, and you'll generally be within 10 feet of the hole. What a practice session that would be just to get that feel and be able to have the brain take over it to uh, let your body react in the way that you need to, to swing to get that distance control or to get that ultimate task accomplished. Yes, and you can do that Goldilocks with anything, with ball contact, with ball position. So when you see that solid contact and direction, Sean Clement video, you'll realize there are four big things that prevent you from performing. If your ball position's too far forward or too far back, if you're too far from the ball or too close to the ball, if you're too far from the ball, you can't throw the club to the target and stay in balance. If you're too close, you feel like you're all bunched up and you can't throw. And at the right distance, you feel like, hey, I can throw in that direction. I can get through the dandelion stem beautifully, and I don't feel like I have to compromise my balance to do it. And it's so easy to feel once you felt what doesn't jive. But when you're trying to be perfect and you're trying to approach it and say, okay, I'm pretty sure this would be good, but I want to make sure. And then all of a sudden, the doubt creeps in, and then you're toasted. Yeah. So when people struggle with the learning process, uh, getting into it, what's kind of getting in the way for them? Number one, improper vision of how the tool works. That's number one. And then number two, they get polluted with a lot of stuff like keep your head down, don't move your legs, and be careful and watch out instead of just being extremely intuitive and just, you know, whip the club through that dandelion stem, mm. la-dee-da, and just get really good at that. And so just that will put them on the right path. Perfect. Let's shift a bit. I know everything we've been talking about, very relevant for senior golfers. I'm talking anybody who's got some body restriction, maybe a little bit over 50, they've been sitting at a desk for a while. They've got some body restrictions, perhaps some injuries. How do you work with them around these same concepts and principles you're talking about? Well, the brain is an amazing adaptation tool. So number one, you don't want to have any restrictions in the backswing. I mean, the last 30 years, we've gone through one heck of an awful spell of resist with the lower body and coil upper body against lower body. That's hurt the game of golf way more than anything else. So... Once the student understands that they don't have to do that anymore and they can just allow the whole body to turn together in the backswing the, the way it was meant to, like a baseball pitcher doing a full-bodied motion, uh, you know, a tennis player getting ready to, to do a tennis serve, to get the range of motion back and gather the backswing so that they can whip the club through the stem with ease. So once we remove those restrictions, then all of a sudden they can function so much better. Now you've got guys like Matt Wolf who are really making a big turn like Jack Nicklaus used to do. And, and I remember Michael Breed saying, oh, no, we don't teach the Jack Nicklaus swing anymore. That's, that's way out of, uh, you know, out of print, and it's inefficient. And it's all going back to that, and I never left it. You know, you look at all my videos from day one 15 years ago on YouTube, and you'll see 
Let that left knee rotate behind the ball. Turn your back to the target. Gather your backswing so you can effortlessly whip the club to the target. So right out of the gate, that just takes care of 90% of the issues. I'm curious about those seniors out there that might have some hip restrictions on the forward hip and how you might deal with that in terms of helping them through the swing so they can get a, a really good turn through the ball. Some people have some delicate lead knees or ankles or hips, the best drill for that is the walking drill. So if you go on YouTube, you'll see a video entitled uh, Weight Shift, Take a Walk, Sean Clement. So when we're cutting grass with the sole of the club, and if, if your full-time job is to cut grass in your backyard, you would be walking and cutting at the same time. And so you're able to do your rows. Now, when you're able to walk and cut grass, your brain is the ultimate problem solver, so it will walk nice and gingerly for you. And the timing of the use, you know, because of that kinetic chain, you want to be able to grab the ground with that lead leg nicely and, and then just let the arms swing through the grass and out into the direction that you want the ball to go. So when you're able to walk and cut grass at the same time, you get a really keen sense of the timing of the swing. And because you get proper timing, you've got plenty of time to settle in in that lead hip knee ankle to take care of the follow through. So again, just kind of creating a task and a drill to support that task so that they can react to it in the way that their body's capable of reacting to it. Exactly. You know, the brain constantly seeks the path of least resistance. So just let your brain figure out how it's going to shift and clear for you. Just give it the task of cutting and walking grass. What do you think about the old standby of kind of flaring out your left foot a little bit to give you a little easier path towards uh, rotating through the swing? You actually want to flare out both feet. And, and that was a Jack Nicholas staple. If you look at most people, when you, uh, let's say you stand over a step and you let your right leg dangle from over the side of the step, you know, and you let it hang from your hip joint, you'll notice it'll always have a tendency to hang a little open because where your hip plugs into the pelvis is slightly behind. So most people will have 15 to 20 degrees toed open when they let the, the hips hang. So if you're, your foot's towed in, you're actually going to encourage a slide or a sway. And if both feet are towed open, that opens up the backswing so that you can finish your backswing. And that foot open toward the target helps clear and, and, and get that hip to clear properly towards the target. So you want to do both feet. And I have a wonderful how to stop swing video where, where I show you how that works. So how to stop swinging Sean Clement on YouTube will get you to that that particular aspect of it. Sounds like a good recommendation for seniors, but even those who are not seniors, to have that sort of setup where the feet are slightly flared. Absolutely. It gives you a lot more lateral stability and front-to-back stability as well. As we're continuing just with one more question around the, the, the senior focus here, senior golfer focus, let's say you've got an advanced player. They've been playing a while, and they're, they're a decent golfer. Let's say mid-handicap, maybe high single-digit handicap. They're a good player. But, you know, age is sort of catching up to them. What typically are they looking for from you to try to help? Clearing the clutter. Everybody's 
thinking that there's a defective body part somewhere and there's, you know, they're, they're thinking about what swing key to use. And, you know, I want to make sure that my armpit is connected because I hear you, you know, and then you see people using head covers under, under the armpits or, um, they're, they're trying to make sure that they don't, they don't have that big miss to the left. Mm -hmm. So the first thing you need to, you know, that I show a good player is number one, they're not defective. And if they miss a shot, well, what was the original focus? What were you getting ready to do? And invariably, they're going to be perplexed at the question. They're going, why? I'm, I'm not sure what I was thinking. So I will say, good shot. So what shot would you like to hit? Well, I want to start it there. I want to end it there. Okay, good. Let's get an intermediate point in front. And let's use that intermediate point to line up properly into that picture. So now that you're lined up into that picture, do you feel like when, you know, when you deliver into the picture, do you want to feel like you're shoving or placing or steering the club into the picture? Or would you prefer to effortlessly whip the club through the dandelion stem or the ball in the direction that you want to start the ball? And obviously the answer is always the second one. Sure. So when you're standing over the ball, the last thing that goes through your mind is basically what you're reacting to. So while you're sitting there, let's say we're playing basketball and we're going to do that perfect free throw. It's leaving your fingertips with that beautiful wristy snap. And it really a beautiful little flick off the fingertips and that perfect arc and swish through the net. I'm feeling it. Now, instead of a basketball, I'm going to put a 12 pound, 12 pound shot put in your hands. Can you flick that at the end of your fingers? Well, no. Now you're going to have to heave it like a shot putter into that bucket. So did you feel the difference as I described it? Big difference. So right now your premotor cortex is at work. It is the job of the premotor cortex to pre-fire into that central nervous system of yours to get you ready to perform a task. What task are you getting your central nervous system ready to perform? Well, let's say hold the club as hard as you can and hit the ball as hard as you can. Didn't you feel a nice tug on your ribs? A severe, yes. I'm going to feel the weight of the club, and I'm going to sling the club effortlessly through the stem of the dandelion into the direction I want to start the ball. So there's a very big difference between the two. And if you don't ready the mind or the body to perform the feel of the shot that you want to perform, you will be at the mercy of the golf course architect. When he puts out of bounds on the left-hand side and water on the right-hand side and puts you into a crosswind and has the fairway slope to the right-hand side towards the OB, whatever, then you begin to tighten up. There's certain holes you say, man, I can't stand this hole. I always have a big number on this hole. And then now you're thinking about what not to do as opposed to when you get to your favorite hole and you, and you see that beautiful shot sailing, you know, over that bunker and onto the green and you, you love the way it looks. And, you, and, and it's like every time you set up for that shot, you hit a good shot. So your brain is recalling the good vibes that you've had in the past because the brain associates pictures to sounds to feels, and it's, and it's one complete package. So you can easily interrupt 
a bad pattern by saying, okay, what's the best option to put the ball in play on this hole? All right, so if I put a five iron to the 200-yard marker, let's take our chances from there. All right, so I'll do a five iron to the 200-yard marker. I can do that all day in my sleep. So you tee off with that five iron, get that beautiful, you know, nice swing in the direction you want to start the ball, let it draw back to the center at the 200-yard marker. And then you say, okay, I can do a little hybrid to the green, a little five wood or whatever, and you deliver your, your little fairway wood to the part of the green where you feel you can easily get up and down. And all of a sudden, you, you take that crap hole and you turn it into a nice little positive. And you say, hey, look at that. I got up and down from an easy spot to the front, you know, front right of the green. I feel like I could do that all day. So if, when, when it comes to crunch time and there's, the, you know, if I'm playing in the club championship, I'll just play it in the way I just did. Number one, a proper routine that's going to bring out the best of your abilities. And number two, course management, certain holes that you're not comfortable with. Well, I got 10 different options for you to play that hole. You can play that hole so many different ways. So what's the best way for you to play that hole where the worst you're going to take is a bogey in, and then you can remove all the big numbers that you've ever had on that hole from that possibility. Excellent. So for that senior, more advanced player, it sounds like it's less about technique, more about clearing the clutter of the mind, getting you to think that you're not defective, which kind of goes back to the, the theme of this whole show, and getting you to think about what really is the task you're trying to accomplish. Doing that in the way that you know you can do and have done many times. Yes. We talk about that research that they did with a PET scan on how we learn motor skills. Hmm. This basically freed me 10 years ago. And it's something that I teach regularly to my students who are trying to make sure or trying to repeat certain movements or patterns or body parts, right? Right. And so they took a pro and an amateur and they put their brains under a PET scan, a positron emission tomography scan. And typically those machines are massive, right? You have to be carted in there head first, you know, on a rolling bed. And they were able to make it semi-portable so it sits on top of your head as you're standing, but it's hanging from chains and from a big rafter and all that stuff. And so they were only able to get a pro and an amateur to do a one-foot putt. So they perform the one-foot putt over and over and over again, and they never miss. And then they look at the brain scans. And they see that the same parts of the brain are basically lighting up for both individuals and that the pro was just a little bit more funneled, a little more organized. Mm -hmm. And then they made the biggest discovery where they said, well, look at that. They never missed a putt, but yet every brain scan is slightly different one from the next and never repeats in either case. Hmm. So for many people, this is a shock because they think, wow, it's a one-foot putt. You can easily repeat a one-foot putt. The thing about the brain is it's an adaptation machine. It isn't a repetition machine. Every time you strike a putt, there's a feedback loop that goes back into the brain. The brain takes that information, and it's rewiring itself constantly to give you the path of least resistance. So you can't ever repeat it's impossible. Therefore, you can't ever make sure of anything. So stop trying so damn hard. 
because it's not going to work. The harder you try, the more crap you will produce. Yeah. Wow. That, that's, we could have a whole show on that. So what's your best chance? Well, every time I throw my club in the direction I want to start the ball, I get a nice weight shift and a beautiful clearing of the hips and my release goes out into the picture and I get beautiful speed through the ball and out into my picture. So I get a decent swing every time I stay on task. How good is it going to be? Well, I don't know. Let's find out. Let's deliver one with ease and velocity and let's find out how good we can be today. I got to ask you about distance. A senior golfer comes to you and they say, boy, I'm just not hitting it as far as I'd like to. Where do you try to take them? I see a very common pattern amongst senior players where, you know, they, they always try to hit the ball. So if you're hitting the ball, you're taking the club back and you're, and you're trying to hit the ball hard. When you were younger, more elastic, you could get away with it. But then now that you have less muscular density and every time you try to hit the ball, you're popping a rib, you can't go at it as harshly because injury is much easier to get, then you will lose distance very quickly. So what's important is to gather the range of motion in the backswing. So that's the key is to maximize your range of motion and swing with ease. When you're whipping the club easily in the direction that you want to start the ball and you engage that kinetic chain, it's incredible what happens. It's like you get this effortlessness and the ball goes far and you, your jaw drops to the ground and you go, well, I didn't do anything. And that's where the magic is, 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 is being able to engage that kinetic chain. And, and that's what I've been doing for the last 25 years. If you look at my video entitled Throwing the Club, Sean Clement, and get really good at throwing and chucking that golf club, you go find an open field somewhere, go to play it against sports and get a few $5 golf clubs from the $5 barrel. And paint them white if you need to. If the field has, you know, got you know high grass, you can find your clubs easily. Yeah. And find a tree in a distance and freaking send helicopters out there and really enjoy chucking that golf club and feel how you can throw the club as far as you can with the least amount of effort. So it should amount to about three out of ten for effort to get seven out of ten in velocity. And when you get good at throwing the club, then you can start throwing the club without letting go, and you won't believe how much pull you're going to feel in your shoulder sockets toward that target, and you're going to have to dissipate that excess energy that you're going to now find. You'll gain a club and a half like overnight. So if you want to go farther, just throw, throw the club farther. That's it. And your brain knows how to do this, not by focusing on a, on a single body part, that's going to do it for you. That's going to sabotage your system. Excellent. So just find a task and like the task of throwing the club is phenomenal for that. Perfect. That was a fascinating discussion. It's easy to see why he's so successful as a golf teacher. With his in-depth insights that he shared and the drills that he shared, the whole show felt like he was generously giving us a seminar more than an interview. Really appreciate that. He has such a gift to teach with beautiful word pictures that were easy to visualize and easy to understand. Thank you, a big thank you so much to you, Sean Clement. 
If you want to get involved in working more with Sean, visit his website at wisdomingolf.com. There you will find excellent teaching assets. One of the ones I particularly like is his premium channel. It's just $4.95 a month subscription. Less than a sleeve of golf balls, but boy, that's a pretty good value. And he has so much more than that. If this is the sort of information you want more of, please share the website, theseniorgolferadvisor.com, with others. And please go to Apple Podcast. There you can rate the show and give us a review. So thank you for listening and keep swinging till we see you the next time. <laughs> <laughs>